Our story begins one second after midnight, January 1st, 1953. This is Times Square in the city of New York. It could be the Circle in Indianapolis or Carson City or the main dining room of the Brown Hotel in Louisville. The sounds are the same. For at this moment, at this starting out place, in the Earth's huge sweep around the sun, we're all haunted by the same ghost. We each pay tribute to the gods of the year that yet to be. One year ago, less a few days and a few hours, the year that lay ahead like life itself would be a blend of the huge and the insignificant. Things almost too big to comprehend, others small enough to be tucked away forever in the memory and cherished as part of what it was to have lived this year of grace, 1953. The United States entered 1954 in an uncertain position. Years of racial discrimination were coming to the forefront. In May, Brown versus the Board of Education would make racial segregation in schools illegal. By a -day miracle. The Korean War was over, but the communist Red Scare was reaching its height. Dwight D. Eisenhower was completing his first year as U.S. President. Elizabeth II was now Queen of England. Joseph Stalin was dead. So was Hank Williams, Maud Adams, Jim Thorpe, Herman Mankiewicz, Dooley Wilson, Robert Taft, Edwin Hubble, and Dylan Thomas. January 20 it was, a chilly, wind-battered day, made gay by the sun that splashed down on the mall and the thousand flags that seemed to fly from every rooftop in the city. It was noon or so when the big car rolled out of the driveway at the White House and turned up Pennsylvania Avenue toward the Capitol. President Truman and President-elect Eisenhower seated side by side for this brief instant of time. The one ready to perform his final official duty, the other moving toward his rendezvous with history. Meanwhile, radio achieved total saturation. 98% of homes had a radio set. There were still 19 million U.S. houses that could only be reached by radio. However, the four national networks continued a five-year downward trend in radio ad sales. Network radio gross revenue peaked in 1948 at just under $200 million. In 1953, it was down to $160 million. Procter & Gamble led the way with over $14 million spent, and 40 companies, including General Foods, Colgate-Palmolive, Liggett & Myers, Campbell Soups, S.C. Johnson, and Coca-Cola spent at least $1 million on radio advertising. General Eisenhower places his left hand on the Bibles, and the two men look deep into each other's eyes. While TV hadn't fully supplanted radio's total reach, it had decimated its primetime audience share. On CBS TV, I Love Lucy led all shows with a 58.8 rating. It was seen in over 15 million homes each Monday evening at 9 p.m. Opposite on the other medium, the Lux Radio Theater was heard in just under 3 million. And it turned out that as McCarthyism reached its zenith, Dramatic Radio would spend the first six months of 1954 facing widespread network cancellations. These were shows that just six years earlier were at the forefront of national consciousness. Radio's heyday was over. Tonight, we'll go back to January of 1954 and search for more answers. So help me God.
Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 123. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we open 2022 with a six-part miniseries on radio business and programming in 1954. We'll begin with January, in a radio half-season that was for many, the end of the line. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight, we'll also begin a new programming format on Breaking Walls. Going forward, I'll be releasing each episode in parts. These parts will be available on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Once all parts of an episode are released, I'll post the full-length episode for those who want to listen to it in the traditional format. For those listening on YouTube for the first time, please go to thewallbreakers.com for the full lineup of past episodes and feature length. Tonight's opening song is the Manhattan Strings version of Auld Lang Syne. It's a beautifully fitting rendition performed for the album The Holiday Sounds of the Manhattan Strings. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash the wallbreakers. You can also support these shows for as little as a dollar per month at patreon.com slash the wallbreakers. Tomorrow on the NBC Radio Network, you'll hear three great special events when you set your dial to this station. First, from Pasadena, California, NBC's top newscasters will bring you a thrilling word picture of the fabulous Rose Parade. This is the traditional celebration of the roses, and you'll be there via the magic of radio when you listen tomorrow on NBC. Later, from the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, NBC will present a play-by-play description of the Alabama Rice football game. This 18th renewal of the Dallas Classic will put Alabama's Southwestern Conference champions against Rice Institute's co-champions of the Southwest. And then you'll want to stay tuned as NBC will return once again to Pasadena, California for the Rose Bowl Football Classic. Tomorrow, you'll hear an evenly matched game between the Bruins of UCLA and the Spartans of Michigan State College as they battle for the honors of the Big Ten and the Pacific Coast Conference. Keep your dial set to NBC tomorrow for the finest New Year's Day sports coverage. Well, McGee, that winds up another year. 1953 is just about finished. Yeah, and me too. Hey, I wonder what happened to all the things I was going to do in 1953. <laughs> I don't know, but that's a familiar question. Remember, I was going to give up smoking, be more polite to people, read some good books and all stuff like that there. I remember. Well, it's sure great to have a whole, fresh, brand new year to do them things in. <laughs> Remind me, will you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy, Happy New Year!
NBC has brought you the Fibber McGee and Molly program transcribed with Bill Thompson as Mr. Wimple and Arthur Q. Bryan as Dr. Gamble. Also heard tonight were Peter Leeds as the master of ceremonies, Myra Marsh as Mrs. Spradley, and Jack Crucian as the man backstage. This is John Wall inviting you to be with us again tomorrow night for another visit with Fibber McGee and Molly. Tonight, hear the all-night parade of bands on the NBC Radio Network. Sometimes ideas come out of news stories that you've read or out of... The first story I ever did, Don had hired me. I was to come in on... Tuesday with some story ideas, and I sat in our little house over on Lost Palmas, just sweating blood because I wasn't didn't I was overwhelmed by the opportunity and I didn't nothing was happening much and uh, I had a few ideas I didn't care too much for them and I was having a cup of coffee late at night in the kitchen and I picked up a bottle of cream to put some in the coffee and it said on the bottle Ador Dairy Farms invites you to visit our dairy. And it just struck me that that would be a funny notion for Fibber and Molly to take up that invitation off their milk bottle and go visit the dairy. The finish we had for the show, I had for the show, was that that had been on their milk bottle for 20 years and nobody had ever come to see them. Arthur Q. Bryan, who had played Major Hoople that I had been writing, mm -hmm. they hired him to play the president of the dairy, and he just broke down and cried when they came because all these years nobody uh -huh. had ever come to see the dairy. Well, that was how the first idea came to me. One, I remember we saw a picture in Life or Time, perhaps, of a woman who uh, tried to get on a bus with an armful of packages at Christmas Rush or something, and the bus driver closed the door in her face because the bus was full. And she got furious and went around quickly and stood in front of the bus and wouldn't let it move until they let her on. It developed into a thing between the woman and the bus driver that went on for about an hour. Barred that, used mm -hmm. for fibber. He went out and stood in front of the bus, and we rallied the merchants with him and people on both sides, and the merchants brought a chair out for him to sit on, and they were bringing him ice cream, and he was loving it. When you get to know the characters well, you know how they react to things and exactly what Fibber mm. would do in a situation. And he did the very logical thing for him. He made a big thing out of not being allowed on the bus, and, and it took all afternoon while they fought back and forth. They called the mayor and everybody to come and try to settle the argument. When the driver finally agreed to let Fibber on the bus, he discovered that it wasn't his bus after all, which was typically Fibber, <laughs> you see. It was the wrong bus. He said, get that thing out of here, bud. I've been waiting here long enough. <laughs> In the August 17, 1953 issue of Broadcasting Magazine, NBC's VP of Operating, Ted Cott, said that if TV killed off the conversation, NBC Radio is going to revive it. Their motto was, what's good in radio is good for radio. The network was in the development stage for 28 new programs and 13 additional news segments. There would be quiz shows, a midnight column, a program about the NBC chimes, and a radio version of the Sunday newspaper called Weekend. They'd also give more attention to shows of local importance, like the Grand Ole Opry, 
broadcast from the Ryman Auditorium over WSM in Nashville. NBC's marketing department touted the network as the headquarters for new ideas. Advertisers bought commercial spots rather than sponsoring each show. NBC called it the tandem plan. In their fall lineup, programming themes would change nightly. Mondays would be music, Tuesdays adventure, Fridays comedy. Jimmy Stewart would debut in The Six Shooter, and Frank Sinatra would star in Rocky Fortune. And after 18 years as a weekly show, Fibber McGee and Molly would air five nights per week for 15 minutes. It was produced and directed by Max Hutto and written by Phil Leslie. Oh, and, and uh, create the idea, yeah, the, the gag. Do, do really. the plot, which yeah. was not, you know, Fibber and Molly didn't require much of a plot, uh -huh. but it needed a story with a finish of some kind mm -hmm. to hang the, hang the door knocks on that people would come in. I started the first few weeks just bringing Don's story ideas, sitting in, then I began to write a little bit for him. And then after a few months, my routine was that I would write a whole show. We would get together out at the Jordan's house, Pepper and Molly's house, on Saturday afternoon. We would all read the script, read it aloud. Don would read all the parts. He'd read the old-timer and read Doc Gamble and Mary Latrivia and Wallace Wimple. And Mary and Jim would read their own roles, and I would sit and sweat, you know, wondering how good it was. Then Don would rewrite it over the weekend on Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday, as much as he thought it needed, which was a lot in the beginning. Then Tuesday we'd rehearse, or Monday we'd, we'd do a reading, and Don would make cuts and polishes, and Tuesday we'd rehearse all day and do the show. Well, after about a year and a half, two years of that perhaps, Don felt that I was writing well enough for the show that we could break it half in two. So we'd get mm -hmm. the story set with Marion and Jim on a Tuesday afternoon before we did tonight's show. We'd get next week's story set, mm -hmm. they'd agree on it. Then Don and I would break it half in two, and I would write the first half, and he'd write the second half, and the next week we'd do it the other way around. And then on Sunday or later on Monday, Don and I would get together, put the show together, and we'd go into rehearsal with it. Packaged with Second Chance and It Pays to Be Married, NBC charged just under $3,000 for a minute of sponsorship. It was touted in advertisements as the lowest cost for network time in history. The show debuted in the new format on October 5, 1953. It found sponsorship in January of 1954, reaching 2 million homes per evening. On New Year's Day, Fibber and Molly attempted to enjoy a quiet evening at home. The Fibber, McGee, and Molly Show. Weekday at this time, NBC brings you Fibber McGee and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. We'll join Fibber and Molly in just a moment. Within the next 20 seconds, a fire will break out somewhere in the United States. Lives may be lost, property damaged, homes or buildings destroyed. This is something that's very important. We learned that a long time ago with the Smith family. Uh -huh. You painted a picture the same as if you were doing it in a motion picture or doing it on a stage for people to see. You painted that picture so the people could see what they were laughing at. That was the trick. We had a, an expression that we that, that don't get the picture. If you, don't, if you don't make a picture, you're not going anywhere. This is the way we thought about it anyway. Don't smoke in bed or discard lighted cigarettes carelessly. 
Rule two, clean out old newspapers, magazines, and other inflammable debris. Rule three, promptly repair defective wiring as soon as you notice it. Fires won't wait until tomorrow. Rule four, use only those cleaning fluids which will not burn. And last but not least, be careful with matches. Remember, it doesn't pay to gamble with fire. The odds are against you every time. The Wistful Vista Elks and their ladies ushered in the new year in fine style last night with dancing, food, and a big vaudeville show. We bring you now one of the stars of that show and his wife spending a quiet New Year's Day at home. And I tell you, dearie, when you rolled out there on that stage on that one-wheeled bicycle playing your mandolin, they applauded so hard I thought the roof was going to fall in. Yeah. When you rolled up to the edge of the orchestra pit and couldn't get the bicycle stopped, I thought you were going to fall in. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> if I hadn't leapt off the cycle and took a bow right quick, I'd have... I'll get it. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. Oh, Happy New Year to you, too, Herb. Yeah, it was quite an evening, wasn't it? Yes, he's here, Herb, for you again. You certainly made a hit last night. Well, Natch, an old showman like me. Bring the phone over here, will you, please? You're standing up, and I'm tired. Yes, dearie. You want me to hold it to your ear, or can you manage that part yourself? No, I can hold it. Hello. Yeah, Herb. Well, I'm glad you like it, boy. Oh, it's just a little thing I whipped up after I watched a couple of acts and figured the show could stand a little class. You mean after you heard Dr. Gamble and Mr. Wimble go out there and tell all those horrible jokes you were planning to tell yourself? Yeah, well, he's a doctor, not an actor, Herb. He did us a great favor when he stole those jokes of yours. What'd you say, Herb? Oh, the finale? You mean while I was playing the Stars and Stripes forever? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you how I did that, Herb. That, that, that's a trade secret. How you did what, Derry? Just a minute, Herb. You know, when I closed with the Stars and Stripes Forever on the mandolin, Herb wants to know how I got them little American flags to come out of my ears on the last chorus. How did you do that? I've never been able to figure that What'd out. What'd you say, Herb? Oh, a friend of yours was there. Television? Well, now, tell him I appreciate the offer, Herb, but I'm too busy. What, dearie? What? what, what what's this about television? A friend of Herb's was there last night and saw me do my act. Yeah, yes. Well, he just bought a new television, and he wanted to know if I'd like to come over with Herb and watch the Rose Bowl game. Oh, but I'm too busy. dear. Yeah, Herb. Oh, I got a million things to do around the house today. Well, tell him thanks. Maybe some other time. Yeah, goodbye. Nice guy, that Herb. That's the tenth call you've had today. Goodness, I'm proud of you, sweetheart. Well, thanks, Tootsie. Tell me, how did you get those little flags to come out of your ears, anyhow? I'm sorry, Molly, but me and old Fred Nittany, the guy that him and me invented that whole routine, we made a solemn pact not to divulge any of the secrets of our act until 25 years after our death. <laughs> <laughs> well, forgive me for asking. I had no idea it was so involved. Ah, that's okay. Oh, boy, I'm tired. We sure had fun last night, didn't we? Must have been 1 o'clock when we got home. One fifteen. I think that was the best affair the Elks Club ever had. Of course, the show was wonderful, especially your part. Oh, well. And the dance afterwards. Honestly, I never danced so much in my life. Say, did you see Dr. Gamble out there cutting a rug with Miss Callahan? Yeah, that poor girl looks scared to death. <laughs> you know, when old Fatso starts jitterbugging, he looks like a dump truck with busted brakes. <laughs> oh, I danced with him myself, you know. I thought the doctor was pretty graceful. Graceful? <laughs> like a hamstrung moose, he's graceful. Well, he... say, weren't Teeny and the old-timer cute as the old year and the new year, though? Yeah. At midnight there, when they did yeah, that. Yeah, and the way Teeny kicked and hollered when her folks tried to get her to go home and go to bed. 
They had to chase her all over the Elks Club. <laughs> well, if you hadn't promised to go along with them and tell her a bedtime story, I don't think they'd have ever gotten her down off of that balcony. <laughs> if that's what the new year is going to be like, give me back the old. Well, he was pretty frisky, too. The old-timer, I mean. Did you see him doing the tango? He was dancing with three gals at once. <laughs> I bet he's tired today. He really did overdo it. Somebody should have stopped him. Hmm. Did you ever stop a tornado? All you can do is run for cover till it wears itself out. Speaking of being wore out, I'm not getting up from this chair for a week. I feel like my mainspring is busted. If we were smart, we'd have come on home to bed after Teeny's house instead of going back to the dance. She's probably feeling bright and chipper this morning herself. Yeah, probably woke her folks up at daybreak banging on that drum she got for Christmas and hollering for me. Come in. Well, McGee, look who's at the door with a snowball in one hand and a brand new sled in the other. Teeny? No. Hello there, kids. Oh. Hey, Johnny, how about coming out and doing a couple of belly flops down Oak Street Hill? We can use my sled. Oh, What's the matter with him, daughter? Well, we were a little tired from last night. What'd you do? Go night clubbing after the Elks Club shindig broke up? Oh, no. Why didn't you tell me? I'd have went with you, kids. I was just getting wound up when the musicians quit and went home. Oh. What music? What fun? What girls? What time is it? I gotta go and meet Teeny and the kids. They're waiting for me at the top of the hill. <laughs> so long, kids. Happy New Year. What the heck was that? I think that was last night's tornado that hasn't worn itself out yet. <laughs> I don't know where he gets his pep because at his age... Back to West Vista in a minute. The tradition of religious freedom and of religious worship in America goes back to the very founding of our country. The cornerstone of our Declaration of Independence is the statement that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. The show, uh, as Fibber McGee and Molly, as a half-hour radio show, went off the air in about 1954, didn't 53 it? 53 or 54, I feel. And then we did a 15-minute show across the board for one year, and then we did monitor for about three years. Yeah. In fact, when Marion became ill in 1960, in February, this cancer was discovered, and we were just, uh, the contract was made out for three more years of Monitor at that time. We never finished signing it. Well, that was one of the great losses to radio, certainly. But you were with NBC for all those years, weren't you, Jim? We were with NBC for over 30 years. Church or synagogue of your choice. Light their life with faith. Bring them to worship this week. Yeah, Watson, we had a swell time. Horse Watson, kiddo. Yeah, great. Be sure and tell him what a nice job he did as MC last night. What'd you say, horse? My act. Oh, yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it, horse. Just a little something I whipped up before curtain time. Got a million routines, of course, I have. Tell him what a nice job he did as MC. Yeah, I and Fred Nittany, the guy that him and me had us an act together from Starved Rock, Illinois, together in Vaudeville. We played all the top spots. Jerry, with... don't forget to tell him what a good MC he yeah, was. Yeah, that was I and Fred's old finale I finished with. Used to play my mandolin sitting on old Fred's shoulders while he rode the unicycle. What'd you say? The flags that come out of my ears? Oh, dear. Here we go again. Oh, I'm sorry, horse. I'd like to tell you, but that's a trade secret. Can't give out any information on that on account of a pact I made with old Fred. Yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it, though. McGee, tell him what a good MC. Uh, just a minute, Watson. What's the matter, Molly? What is it? I said tell Mr. Watson what a fine job he did arranging the show and being the master of ceremonies. He was the stage manager and everything, you know. I think he'd like a little appreciation. Oh. Say, horse, 
Before I hang up, I just wanted to say you did a good job yourself last night, too, though. Yeah, that's okay. Good. I think you done fine, considering that you got no show business background like I have, and naturally you didn't know your foots from your fly loft. I mean, like routining the show, you know. No real showman would ever put two musical acts together like that, but what the heck. You take a guy that he's a shoe clerk like you are and put him running a vaudeville show, and when you look at it that way, I think you did pretty good. Pretty darn good, boy. Yeah, because... Hello? Hello, horse. Hello? Hmm. Guess that flattery kind of embarrassed him. He hung up. Well, you did spread it on a little thick. Well, he deserved it. He worked pretty hard. Hey, say, where's today's paper? Have you seen it? Yes, it just came a while ago. I'll get it. Watch the Christmas tree. Yeah. Oh, dear. Only two ornaments fell this time. We'll have to start thinking about taking this thing down soon. The needles are beginning to Plenty fall. of time for that, Molly. Gee whiz, we did a lot of work decorating that tree. Okay, okay. Here's the paper. Thanks. Hey, look at that, will you, kiddo? Sure looks funny. Not a picture of you with those American flags coming out of your ears while you play. No, the... no, I mean this date up here. January 1st, 1954. Look at that four. Doesn't it look funny? <laughs> it sure does. Yes, this is the first day of the new year. You make it sound like the new scoop of the century. Ah, yes, a new day dawns. A new clean slate lies ahead of us, unmarked and unblemished. And by this time next year, thereupon will be written the future of our spinning universe in bold, clear letters. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm thirsty. <laughs> you got a glass of root beer? There's some in the icebox. See who it is, Molly. I'm so tired, I Come can... in. Well, Dr. Gamble. Hello, my dear. Hi, Doc. Hi. Too bad you didn't get here sooner. You just missed a bit of homespun philosophy that would have spun you around and sent you home talking to yourself. Well, if he's in a philosophical mood, maybe I better not stay. He's bad enough when he's... You still... ought to wonder whether to come into my house or not, you big chiseler, you joke stealer. Me? I don't know what you mean. Sit down, doctor. Look at that innocent look on that putty puss of his, Molly. <laughs> doctor, I've been wounded deeply. To think that you, my nearest, dearest, and fattest friend, would steal my act at the Elks Club. Steal ten of my best jokes so that you and Wimple could go out there and tell them before I got a chance to. So I had to do a whole new act. I don't know how to thank you, Doctor. Well, believe me, kids, I learned my lesson. When Whipple walked out there and I asked him where he was going with those Coca-Colas and he said he was taking the case to court, <laughs> I thought they'd kill us. <laughs> <laughs> and when he came back with his step letter and said he was taking the case to a higher court, they should have. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I've learned that crime doesn't pay. Ah, oh, you guys just didn't do them right, Doc. You gotta be actors, boy, that's all. Now you take me and old Fred Nittany. We used to get laughs with that stuff all the time. In 1923, maybe, but this is 1953. 54, Molly. A new year is here. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's hard to get used to it. 365 new days. Yeah. I wonder what this new year is going to bring us. Good? Bad? What? Well, let's hope it brings peace and happiness. Let's hope that this year all the people of the world can come to a better understanding of each other's problems. Yes. Because if this new year can bring to all of us a new faith in the future, a new tolerance for our fellow man, and a little more love for each other... This could be the greatest new year of our lives. Fibber and Molly will be right back. How about it? Have you broken any New Year's resolutions yet? Well, if you haven't, don't worry about it. There are still 364 days left in 1954. Plenty of time to shatter all those resolutions you've been badgered into making for the new year. Of course, we hope you can be the exception and keep all your resolutions this year. 
especially if you have resolved to work more enjoyment into your life in 1954. One way we'd like to help out with such a resolution as that is to send along to you the very finest of all radio entertainment on the NBC radio network. During 1953, NBC spent millions of dollars to bring you an improved program schedule. And during 1954, we will continue to bring you the finest of the available radio programs. So accept our invitation to be our guests whenever you want wonderful radio entertainment throughout this new year, whether it be comedy, music, adventure, news, or drama. Just set your dial to the spot where you hear the familiar three NBC chimes, your invitation to the best in listening. Ladies and gentlemen, Molly and I would like to wish all of you a very happy new year. Good night. Good night, all. NBC has brought you the Fibber, McGee, and Molly program, transcribed with Bill Thompson as the old-timer and Arthur Q. Bryan as Dr. Gamble. This is John Wall inviting you to be with us again next Monday night for another visit with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Now laugh with Can You Top This on the NBC Radio Network. fall. Fibber and Molly sold all its commercial spots. The network found success selling short-term sponsorship centered around either holidays or corporate events. NBC would continue to air Fibber, McGee, and Molly in serial format until March 23, 1956. After that, Jim and Marion joined NBC's Monitor in short vignettes. <laughs> 